Uh, those of you my age and more, you'll remember uh, Ed Sullivan. Yes. Uh, and Don, Don DeLuise. And I'll just say, save it for the end. Uh, and I've never forgotten that, even though I was, a, I was just a real little boy. <laughs> the rest of it. Okay, I'm going to try to get this to where I can see it, to where I can change it as I will. I like to move around anyway, so these guys will hate me for it, but uh, I don't care. It'll work for me. <laughs> oh, and I, I need to show everybody. Look, I have actually cufflinks on. Wow. Don't even do that anymore, do we? But the cufflinks that you show that I, I took such a long time getting these on. I usually need my wife to put them on for me. She didn't come. Um, my wife is actually uh, moving into our new home. So I've decided to go on tour because I didn't think God should invent moving. So I, I can't handle moving. Oh my God. So thank you so much for having me back to Kalispell. Um, as some of you might know, I'm on tour and I broke away from tour to come to you. I'm on the, uh, when we first planned this in 1994, it cost about $400,000 and three and a half years and my job. How did I lose this by suing the federal government? In a small town, this became very controversial. I became a big fish in a small town, and it just didn't fit. And I lost my third election because of this, and I hadn't won at the Supreme Court until nine months later after the election. So when everybody's always going to lose, and he doesn't know what he's doing, he just wants to be an activist. Yeah, it cost me my election, but and I thought it was a horrible day at the time. One of the best things that ever happened to me. Since then, I've traveled to every state, all 50. I really love the meetings in Hawaii. <laughs> My wife rarely comes, but if I'm going to Hawaii, she always wants to go. <laughs> you ladies are all set. But anyway, I, I, I love what I've, I've been doing. Uh, I love liberty, and I've dedicated my life to it, and hopefully this will make a difference in your life today. But I will show you the evidence of what I'm talking about. And so we're gonna quote Thomas Paine, Founding Fathers, Jefferson and Madison, and a lot for my Supreme Court case, a lot. And so this McAdam guy who said that just about everything I do is born out of the posse comitatus, uh, I've never read that law. I don't know what he's talking about. Just about everything that I do and say, and what, I, and what brought me to you today is based on one simple thing. I started a lawsuit against the Clinton administration. A few other sheriffs joined me in that lawsuit. Prince from Montana, Ravalli County, Jay Prince and I ended up at the Supreme Court December 4th, 1996. And on, on June 27th, ooh, tomorrow. June 27th will be the 24th anniversary of this decision. And we should be celebrating this. It is absolutely amazing. So what led me to do this is way back when I was a rookie cop at, in Provo, Utah, I was converted to the Constitution. And one day I'm writing this lady a ticket and my life changed forever. Just by writing a little ticket. Well, I wrote it, but I didn't give it to her. And let me tell you what happened. I'm parked at uh, 600 West, 300 South. 
right next to Franklin Elementary School. I'm just south of the intersection facing north. And I'm the only living thing within 150 yards of that intersection. No one is around, nothing. Nobody's over at the school. Nobody's near the intersection. There's not kids playing in the street or in their yards. I'm the only thing there, and I'm in a marked police car. And this lady runs to the stop sign right in front of me. And after she gets about halfway through the intersection, she, she looks around and she goes, and she sees me and she throws her arms up in the air as if to say, what else could go wrong today? <laughs> she immediately pulls over. I don't even have to turn on my red and blue lights. She's already pulled over. I get in behind her. I turn on my red and blue lights because I don't, anybody in traffic that comes behind me, I wanna make sure they see me and don't run over me. And so I turn them on then and I walk up to her and she already has her license and registration out the window. <laughs> and it was obvious that this lady was having a horrible day and I was just about not to make it any better. And her kids were fighting and I saw exactly why she, did, she ran through the stop sign. She had about five or six kids that were really giving her a hard time. She was trying to settle them down and she lost track of where she was on the road, went through the stop sign, okay? Should every one of you ladies get a ticket for that? No. That could maybe imagine you have to, okay? You're not her, are you? I've been wanting to meet her ever since then. I, I really hope someday I'm giving this presentation and she comes up and hugs me because I, I owe her so much. Uh, so I start writing the ticket and she was in a very $250 car. In fact, it was a Datsun compact station wagon. <laughs> Datsun. <laughs> Primer gray showing through, bald tires, ugly, horrible car. It was obvious that this lady didn't have the money for this ticket if it was just $5. And I think then it was about 35. This is 1983. And I'm just filling out the ticket, okay? This is gonna be easy, folks, because she's not even putting up a fight. She's not crying. She's not, what would you do if this was your mother and all the kids are going to listen? Yeah, my mom had six. I can understand that. And we weren't very nice sometimes. She said nothing. She stared through the windshield, just looking out. She didn't care what the kids were doing now. There were some of them still crying and fighting. She wasn't there. And so I finished. And at the end of the ticket, you sign your name and your serial number. And I did that. And then I looked down at this dejected, depressed woman. I looked at her snotty-nosed kids. I looked at her crappy old car. And then I looked at me. And I asked myself a few questions. I said, Mac, is there anything you're doing here that's helping this family? Is there anything you're doing here that's making this a better place to live? And is there anything you're doing here that's bringing honor to the badge you wear on your chest? And I knew the answer to all of them, and now I'm more depressed than she is. <laughs> and I decided she was not getting a ticket that day, and I walked away with that ticket, which is actually against the rules. I don't know if it's against the law, but it was against the rules. 
You fill out a ticket, you have to go to the judge or get it dismissed and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I just went back to the station. I was only three blocks from the station. I took the ticket, tore it up, put it in the trash can, and I wondered the rest of my shift, believe me, I didn't write any more tickets that night. Uh, I, wa I wondered the rest of my shift, which was swing shift, I get off at 11, and I said, why am I doing this? Why do we even have government? I got so fundamental with this whole thing that I said, I have to know why we have government and why I'm doing this to people every day. And what happened to really protecting and serving? Where did public service go? And if, if I was really a creative public servant, maybe I would have said, look, ma'am, I know, no harm, no foul. You didn't hurt anybody, thank goodness. If you're going to like discipline your kids and right now look how many chat look, there's a school right there. No fences on the school. Yeah. You can go play at the playground for a while. Let them get some of that Tasmanian devil energy out of them and, and go let them play for 15 minutes. And if you ever have to discipline them, pull over. But I'm glad you're okay and I'll I'll see you next time. Why does she need a ticket? It's a learning experience, yes. But she, I think she learned. I, she didn't want to run that stop sign. She didn't mean to. So we all learned a lesson. I leave, and I don't gouge her. And I don't. I'm not. A, I didn't want to be a tax collector. I wanted to be a, a cop. Okay. I didn't want to be. So anyway, the next day I came back to shift early, and I said I have got to find out. And I went into our library there, all these books and law books, you know, and that didn't help at all and I didn't have that much time. And so I was walking around the city center and I walked into the city clerk's office and I just stood there. And I don't know why I'm there really, I'm just looking. I don't, I'm trying to find the answer to all this. And I found it right now. And she goes, Officer Mack, can I help you? And I do not know why I said this. I go, when I took my job here, did I, uh, did I take an oath of office? She goes, yeah, you signed it. You have to sign it. And I go, I signed it? And when she saw my incredulity, she immediately got up and made me a copy of it. It was in my personnel file. And she handed me that. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go quit my job right there. I'm leaving. I'm not even going to go on shift. I'm not giving two weeks notice. I'm taking off my Sam Brown gun belt. I'm taking off my badge. I'm taking off my gun, all that. And I'm leaving it on the chief's desk. Well, I never made it to the chief's desk. Because in between the city center and the police department is a lobby. There's soda pop machines there, vending machines. And I stopped and I paused and I said, what is my wife going to say to me? <laughs> when I go home in partial uniform and I tell her I just quit my job. Now I had this conversation with her and she's not even there, okay? You have to remember this. I, Man, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> your wife becomes your subconscious. And, and your, your subconscious. And so I'm having this talk with my subconscious, subconscious, my wife. And she says, so Mac, uh, you got a case of the guilt. You're a liar and a hypocrite. You don't keep your oath. You don't even know about it. You never read the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. And um, I said, yeah. And so she goes, well, you can't. Uh, so we can't make the house payment, can't get the kids new school clothes, and I can't go shopping today. 
And so I said, yeah, I'll get another job. I'm young, I'm strong, um, not all that smart, but I'm, 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 I'll try and do my best. I know I can get a job. She goes, well, could you do me a favor? I go, go, absolutely anything. You're in the driver's seat here. This is your meeting. She goes, could you consider keeping your job and just stop being a liar and a hypocrite? Why didn't I think of that? Repentance. <laughs> I can repent and I can keep my job. Yes. And so, you see how you ladies are? You win the argument and you're not even there. You know? so, so I started studying. And I went home after shift started and I got the World Book Encyclopedia that my grandma sold us. And it's a big one. You, United States Constitution. And I got that one, and I kept it in my patrol car for about three weeks. And anytime I wasn't on a call, and anybody in law enforcement knows there's boring days, <laughs> and I would re I'd be reading the Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights. And you know the Bill of Rights, because of what just happened with me and that lady? Which of the Bill of Rights just really knocked me for a loop? Eight. Eight, thank you. No excessive fines or bail, no cruel and unusual punishment, and sometimes tickets are all three. You know? They are. Boy, your insurance goes up, sometimes you lose your license, you gotta go take these classes, and you go, oh, and then jobs won't hire you, and some, oh my gosh, it's crazy. That gets really crazy. And so, I'm loving what I'm reading. I'm loving the Bill of Rights. And then, another miracle. As if the lady wasn't enough. Another miracle. I had noticed on the training bulletin board a class called the Constitution for Law Enforcement Officers. And the instructor's name, Dr. W. Cleon Skousen. And this is certified police training for the state of Utah. Utah Post certified training. And I took two days off and went to it. Shouldn't have to take two days off for certified training, but they wouldn't let me go otherwise, so I took it off. And I knew him, I knew Dr. Skousen a little bit. He worked in the FBI with my father. And I said, I'm gonna go hear this. In two days, we did not talk about traffic tickets. We did not talk about case law. We studied his book and his program called The Making of America. And folks, let me tell you, you cannot bypass the basics and think you're gonna understand the rest of our government system. You cannot bypass the basics. And that's what we did for two days, 16 hours of training. And while I was sitting there, I was converted to the Constitution of the United States and to our founding fathers and I took another oath while I was sitting there, and only me and God heard it. And I said, I will never be on the wrong side again. So, so about six years later, so no, five, five, five and a half years later, some crazy people from Arizona, where I'm from, started calling me and asking me to move home I have 11 years with Provo PD, asked me to move home to Arizona and run for sheriff. And this is the first time my wife ever agreed with me that her parents were crazy. <laughs> we did not want to do this. 
We had no desire. I'm climbing the ladder of Provo PD. Everything's going great. Kids are loving school. The church is right across the street. The school is about 150 feet uh, to the north of us. It's all wonderful. Great place to live. And I love my job. And we were happy. And then, you know when things are going great, the in-laws always call. And, and they were, and her mom never takes no for an answer. She's the worst best salesman in the world. And so she just, they just kept calling, usually her mom. And I would just hand the phone to my wife and she'd say, leave us alone, we're not coming, you know? And so one night I told my wife, I said, well, let's, let's just weigh the pros and cons and write them down and we'll send them to your mom and dad and they'll have to see that they have to leave us alone. That didn't work either. And then one day I had, I was a detective at the time, so I was plain clothes, had an unmarked car, but I had to go in uniform to some parade or event and I was in uniform and I got back and there was something in the air. I don't know what happened entirely. I don't. When I came home in uniform, my wife had something on her mind. I could tell she just had something on her mind. I had something on mine. And I, and I said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And she goes, what are you thinking? And I said, I'm thinking that I'm never gonna wear this uniform again. She goes, that's what I was thinking. And three weeks later, we moved home and I ran for sheriff. I don't get it, folks. And you wanna talk about an unlikely election? I'd never worked in law enforcement in Arizona or in my county, hadn't lived there for 12 years. And I come back and say, I'm an experienced lawman, make me your sheriff. New blood and old blood seemed to pay off and I barely won the primary and then I beat the incumbent in the, in the general election and then four years later I was re-elected. Um, the newspaper said I was only a one-term sheriff. I don't know how we can't look that up on Wikipedia and know that I was a two-term sheriff eight years instead of four, but it was the second term that all this happened. And my wife and I, are, uh, we get elected, and my wife and I always talk about what a miracle was that we got elected, that we even went there and did it in the first place. It was such a miracle. And when I tell her I'm coming home to sue the federal government, instead of telling me I'm crazy to go golfing or go do something else and come back and we'll talk about it, because there's no way she would ever let me. She would say no today. There's no way she would, uh, no, no way. So anyway. She must have been having a bad hair day or something. She said, now we know why you were supposed to be sheriff. This is it. You need to do it. So, so, so that's the backdrop for this. Because then, when I'm sheriff and we're at a, a, a sheriff's association meeting in Phoenix, and there's only 15 counties in Arizona, so they're really big. Um, 15 counties and 13 sheriffs at the meeting and three agents of the BATF, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, bring us a 25-page document that is detailing, and they tell us, this document details what you have to do in order to enforce the Brady Bill. And boy, the sheriffs are looking at each other, we're going, whoa. And I'm telling you, you never heard so much cussing in your life. Because that document detailed that if we don't do this, we're subject to a year in prison and a $10,000 fine or both. If we don't go along with the federal government, they're going to arrest us. Wow. No negotiation, unfunded mandate, 
Of course, would I have done it with the money? No, we're not going to do it anyway. And I'm the only one in the entire country that has filed this lawsuit, and I'm by myself, the Lone Ranger. And five weeks later, oh, thank God, Sheriff Prince filed. Same lawsuit, and boy was I glad, because I told my wife, I said, I'm the only one doing this. They're gonna squash me like a pumpkin seed. And then amazingly, a whole bunch of sheriffs, seven, seven, out of 3,080 sheriffs, seven did this lawsuit. Were we wrong or were the rest wrong? Anyway, uh, what we should have said, uh, sorry, what we should have said is no. And uh, I learned that from the case and the reporter who said that, that I said that, I did say that. We didn't need to file suit. We don't have to ask permission, especially from federal courts, yeah. to keep our oath of office. Yeah. You do your job. Like the, like Sheriff Rogers in Elkhart County, when they went after an Amish farmer in his county, who would have gone to jail in prison because he didn't uh, pasteurize his milk. He would have gone to prison had it not been for Sheriff Rogers in Elkhart County. And Sheriff Rogers told the FDA that if they came back to his county and tried to annoy this man again, that he would arrest them. Yeah. And, then, and then, and then of course, they threatened to arrest Rogers with a felony obstruction of justice. Do they not know that they all they had to put was a, a two little letters at the beginning of that? Obstruction of injustice is what he was doing. He was doing his job. And so then Rogers calls me and we devise a response to the federal government who in the, when they quoted the supremacy clause saying that the federal government is supreme and we all know they're not because who formed the federal government? The states did. Okay, you're not. You're not above the, cre the, the creator. You are the creature of the states. Okay, we formed you and we delegated certain powers to you. That's it. That's all we did. Very limited powers so that this would never happen. Well, we fell asleep, didn't we? And we started taking federal money. We just wanted to be buddies with all that money. Regardless of that, we stopped it. And then Rogers and I said that, so you know what he put? When it says pursuance thereof to the Constitution, that you have to, the only time that the federal government is supreme is when what? They make laws and do whatever's pursuant to the Constitution. You know what the, 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 the attorney for the FDA put? Dot, dot, dot during that part, and he left it out. So we wrote back and said, hey, you left out the part where it says you have to follow the Constitution. And so why would you lie about that? Why would you leave that part out? Because they don't think they have to follow the Constitution, do they? They really don't. Okay, so uh, we send that off to him, and then David Hostetler was the Amish farmer in question, and he got a certified letter from the FDA saying everything had been dropped. They didn't do anything else. They left Brad, they left Sheriff Rogers alone, and they didn't come back in that county, and they still haven't for 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. 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 So we're gonna show you all the evidence of all of this stuff, okay? And I still have that letter that we, we sent out, but sometimes people uh, wanna get that letter. But there's another letter on our website that I really want you guys to see. Go to CSPOA, C, Constitutional Sheriffs, and Peace Officers Association, cspoa.org. Then go to the top and go to info. And then you'll get, there'll be on that next link where the page comes up, go to the bottom and it says 
letter, PDF, you can print it out, whatever. This is a letter that um, Elko County helped devise for us and about four sheriffs, including former sheriff now, Brad Rogers, who's now a county commissioner in Elkhart County, Indiana, because uh, they have term limits there, you only serve two Good. terms. And now he's county commissioner. And he goes on the tour sometimes for me when I can't make every stop, like right now, the tour's off without me. And then I'm meeting them back up uh, today, tonight in Quarter Lane. So, um, oh, where's my drivers? Not here yet. Oh, there they are. <laughs> There's my chauffeurs. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, so, Sheriff Rogers and a bunch of other sheriffs and El Elko County devised that letter. Do you know what it says? It's a warning to all federal and state agents that if they come in our county and violate the Bill of Rights, that we will pursue them criminally. surprise you and it's exactly what all of us have been praying for and Lander County Nevada and Elko County Nevada have declared themselves to be constitutional counties and both counties have the support of their county attorney that hardly ever happens and they're doing that and to give emphasis to that and to show the world that they really are serious about becoming a constitutional county both counties, Lander County on May 15th, Elko County on June 20th, declared themselves to be members of the CSPOA. Now we're not the end, we're just an avenue, we're just a means to get to the end. Liberty is the end. If you use the CSPOA to, be, to promote liberty and the holy cause of liberty, that's what it's for. But the ultimate goal is to enforce defend and restore the United States Constitution. And thereby what? Protect individual liberty and our God-given rights. And, and folks, let me make sure. What you're gonna see mostly today is a political, oh, I hate that word though, secular, if you will, restoration and resurrection of the Constitution. And does the Constitution indeed going back to what I just said. Does it indeed, is, was its intent to protect our God-given natural rights? Yes. And so yes, this is a way that we can show that government is supposed to be doing that. And where do we see the purpose of all government? Which foundational document talks about the purpose of all government? Declaration of Independence. That to secure these rights, Governments are instituted among men. Almost sounds religious, doesn't it? Well, of course it is. That government is charged with protecting our God-given rights is a very religious obligation. And we'll be talking about the doctrine of interposition while we go through this today. And you're going to learn the next two hours what it really means to have a constitutional county and a constitutional government. And how do we take back America? One constitutional county at a time. Yeah. County by county, Sheriff Marshall. And hopefully, hopefully, state by state. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
But we can create these pockets of constitutional counties all across the country. There's 3,000 sheriffs across the country. We seriously would have a goal of making it about 800 to 1,000, maybe 20, 25%, and we'll do it. There will be no stopping it after that. And that's our goal. Is any of this professing violence? No. Absolutely not. And let, make, let, let us make that very clear. One, I've never been associated with any militia group. I actually resigned from Oath Keepers, and I still like Oath Keepers, and I still like Stuart Rhodes. But they were going a little bit too militia for me, and security guard across the country, and I resigned six years ago. Okay, still like him, still like the, the organization, but it wasn't what we professed at CSPOA, and I didn't, I didn't want the two to be crossing over too much. Didn't, so I quit. So now, in the newspaper article, it talks about how I'm this big supporter of Oath Keepers and uh, this militia group and all. Never been involved in a militia group, except for, I guess, all able-bodied males are part of the militia. So I'm, I don't deny that. But I've never been a part of any militia group. Never. Yet, the newspaper, of course, pegs me anti-government uh, militia. Uh, and so this, this is what I want to say about anti-government. We are not anti-government. We are anti-corruption. So, um, can you take that to where that play thing, little window isn't up there? How do we get out of that? Yeah, good. Okay, right arrow. All right, now this, this is, a, this is a clip from New York. Who's going to teach you something from New York? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's Albany, so it's not New York City, so maybe we got a chance. I want you to know that at the CSPOA, this is all we are after. Everybody got it? This is all we are after. Raina, this is all we are after, okay? You haven't seen this before, have you? Okay, good. The reason you came today. <laughs> okay, watch this news story and watch what happens. Play. Uh, space bar. You want to try to get sound higher? Yeah, do that. That's not. I think it was, I think we can hear it enough in there, especially if you put a mic next to it. I think we'll be all right. And it's it's uh, yeah, it's uh, Constitution 2020 where we're at. Right down lower. Right one more right there. Double click. Okay. Aggrandize. Yeah. Make it bigger. Right arrow. Right arrow, right arrow, and play. The YouTube video going viral, posted on the internet by two activists who brought a camera into the Albany International Airport while they passed out flyers. Now it led to a heated dispute over First Amendment rights. Beth Mortman has our top story. Beth. 
I've been able, as you'll see in the video clip, an airport spokesman tries to stop these activists from their mission, but a sheriff's deputy steps in to settle the confrontation and the right to free speech. So, hey everyone, this is Asha Jessica. I am here at Albany International Airport. The young woman is standing outside the security checkpoint at the airport, telling the camera that she's there to hand out flyers to travelers, reminding them of their right to opt out of getting the body scan, which she claims carries health risks. Okay, yeah, this is, hold on, hold on. First of all, turn this off right away. Airport spokesman Doug Myers tells the crew to stop videotaping and to go downstairs, which they agree to do, and they are confronted again. Sir, sir. You have a million dollars insurance policy here. You're violating the airport authority guidelines. That doesn't matter to us at all, okay? So you check that out. No, you're in our airport. But as the tension builds, Sheriff's Deputy Stan Lennox steps in, separating the two parties, then lays down the law. Obviously, this is your constitutional right, okay? As far as we're concerned, you're not breaking any laws. Spacebar. Spacebar. Who does this cop think he is? <laughs> Telling people what their constitutional rights are? Is he the county attorney or something? No, this is a well-trained deputy who knows and understands the rights of the people. And what is he doing there? Protecting rights. Putting liberty first. Mr. Sokol and Mr. McAdam, this is all we are after, is that we have a police force in this country that defends liberty and protects and serves. And I know, Mr. Sokol, how absolutely petrified you are of the Bill of Rights. But we believe that it will unite our country, it will unify us, and it will restore liberty, and that we will leave people alone to run their own lives, and yes, we will not arrest people for not wearing a diaper on their face. sheriffs in this country and that's what he is from Albany County he's a deputy sheriff and this was way back in 2013 and so I called deputy Stan Lennick and invited him to our CSPOA conference in St. Louis Missouri in 2013 and he got this big old huge plaque saying CSPOA deputy sheriff of the year and and that was the same year that David A. Clark Jr., Sheriff Clark from Milwaukee, got CSPOA Sheriff of the Year. And we've done, we've got lots of constitutional sheriffs across this country. We're thrilled with the work that they're doing. And we try to honor some of the ones that have really stood and stood tall and walked tall. And then he's not finished. Play it again. Hit the space bar. Okay, that's, that's what we want to get across to you guys. Myers objects, ordering airport employees to allow only ticketed passengers upstairs, accusing the activists of blocking the escalator. But once again, Deputy Lennox defends their First Amendment rights. Okay, so we don't know who you are. For. I told you why. Okay. I'm Jason Burns. Let me see your identification. I don't show you my identification. He doesn't have to show you his identification. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have, he hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't have to show you any identification. And later, Deputy Lennox said, you probably ought to go back to your office and let me worry about this, you know. And so this, folks, this is all we're after. Nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's getting arrested. The Constitution was upheld, and innocent people didn't get thrown to the ground and hauled off to jail. Right? 
Disorderly conduct. That's what you charge everybody with when you don't want else to charge them. Okay. All right. Now, next one. The right video arrow. later no. posted to YouTube and go. Right arrow. Now, this is exactly, an, uh, this is pretty close to what we do not want our, our police to do. Go along with some ridiculous federal charade. Watch this. Play now to a News 10 exclusive, a Stockton man wants an apology tonight for a wake-up call he should have never received. It is a story you'll only see on News 10. Lee Painter tells us why police and federal agents knocked down his door. Oh, and by the this way, this was done by the Obama administration. At 6 this morning, a SWAT team surprised Kenneth Wright at his front door. In my underwear. In my underwear. Before I get to the door, I hear and say, hit it. And I get ready to hit the door, and they hit the door. They almost hit me. So I said, hold on. Pause they hit it again. I said, hold This is a no-knock warrant. Yeah. You have to announce that you're there, right, Sheriff? Announce that you're there, get the battering ram, and go through the door. No-knock warrant. Can you imagine what the charge would be? You know what the, Well, this got to be a big, huge drug meth lab or something else. Play it. Oh, but the SWAT team busted in, taking right. They come grab me by my neck and drag me out my house to right there in the grass. Thrown to the ground and handcuffed, law enforcement then searched his house. And they put me in the backseat of a police car for over six hours. From six o'clock to 12.30, they had me handcuffed in the back of a police car with nothing on but my ripped up underwear that they ripped in the yard. Wright says they also woke his three children, holding them for two hours. But they failed to find their quarry, Wright's estranged wife. Wright later complained to Stockton's mayor and police, but the city pointed to the U.S. Department of Education. Paul, they say you. <laughs> Department of Education SWAT team. <laughs> well, I'll be fair and honest about this. They had to borrow the SWAT team from another agency. <laughs> but when the Department of Education needs a SWAT team, they get it. Folks, Department of Education, Office of Inspector General. And this wasn't even aimed at this guy. It was aimed at his wife who didn't even live there anymore. And he sat out there in that hot car for six hours for nothing. And his children got abused and terrorized for nothing. SWAT team, because his wife had failed to pay her student loan. <laughs> Now, even this dumb cop knows that's a civil matter. You owe the government money? Man, if, oh, wait, 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 even better. If somebody owed you money, wouldn't you love to have a SWAT team to go collect for you? Man, you're going to get that money every time. No way. So, folks, Stockton PD, of course, was asked by the federal government to go with them. What we need to tell that SWAT team is... No, you're not going anywhere. And if you need somebody to go collect your student loan thing for you, then hire a collection agency. But leave those people alone. And they, wow, this is. Yeah. So when I first saw this, I don't know how this was brought to my attention, but I first saw this, um, I started investigating because the inspector general says, wrong, we do not do this for people who just owe money on a student loan. We do not send SWAT teams. But I can't tell you what it was about. You can't even tell the charge? You can't even tell what the investigation was about? No, because it's still under investigation. So thank goodness. I don't have to tell the truth about this one. Thank goodness. 
And so I started investigating it. He says, we don't have such warrants. Houston had 1,500, and they did it there too. And that's the only other place I checked. Houston, that's where I stopped because I knew they were lying. Government lying. Wow, that's a new one. <laughs> Department of Education, and I'm telling you folks, if this happens in your county, your sheriff would stop it at the border of the, yeah. uh, of the county. This should all be completely stopped. Okay? All right, next one. Next one. Right there. Okay. Now, I want to tell this specifically to Mr. McAdam and Mr. Sokol, uh, because this is a quote I totally, in fact, I was saying similar things, but this is not me. Don't guess that it's me, okay? There are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. Me too. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility, Mr. McAdam and Mr. So-called, to disobey unjust laws. Now, the big question here, obviously, is who decides what is unjust? Well, you see, only judges can decide what is unjust. You know. How about the person who took the oath? Are, am I not responsible for the oath. When I go to court and I swear to tell the truth, I don't get to say unless the Supreme Court tells me I don't have to. Or unless my sergeant tells me I... The sheriff told me to protect the agency more than anything else. And if I have to lie in court, that that's okay. No. That's not okay. That's perjury. If you don't keep an oath, You've committed a crime of perjury. Maybe worse, but you have at least committed perjury. So I don't get to abdicate my responsibility to keep my oath or to keep my word when I swear that I'm going to tell the truth in court or that I'm going to uphold and defend the Constitution. I cannot pass that on to anyone else. Not the Supreme Court, not my mommy, and not my supervisor. I am responsible for the fulfillment of that oath. That's why every single individual has to take it. I did not swear to go along with political correctness or the Supreme Court or the barber down on Main Street. I have to keep that oath, which presupposes that I know and understand the Constitution, because that's what I swore allegiance to, and that's what Article 6 says I have to do. So here we go. Now, this is amazing. Who actually said this? Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Next slide. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, and I am so proud to use this in my presentation. Do it everywhere, go everywhere. But what this also, I believe, presupposes is that there's not a cop, an IRS agent, any federal agent, any deputy, any sheriff, any chief of police, any cop, any highway patrolman that has any responsibility or any kind of duty whatsoever to enforce unjust laws. That would be the antithesis of America. We don't enforce tyranny. We don't enforce corruption. We stand against all of that. And we refuse to enforce stupid laws. And we don't. 
And I love this because I want to I want to ask Mr. McAdam what his expert opinion is on this radical right-wing extremist racist Martin Luther King for saying such a radical thing to us all that we should not obey laws of corruption. Okay? Please explain that to me in your expert opinion, of course. Okay? Next one. Your oath, and the oaths vary, but this is pretty much it, and I copied parts of different states' oaths. It's not the military oath. The military oath says protect the Constitution and defend it from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Well, who else would you protect it from? Okay, so not all of them say that, but it's still. Would you, be, would you be serious that if you took an oath, you would say, I will protect you from street gangs and street criminals and common thugs, but I will not protect you if, if the abuse is coming from a government agent. Why? Oh, well, because you have to get a lawyer to stop that. Why? Do you know that in our experience, the many times that constitutional sheriffs have stood against abusive government, they've won every single time. Brad Rogers, I did, um, Sheriff uh, Glenn Palmer in uh, Oregon, um, Sheriff uh, Clark, uh, Sheriff uh, Nick Finch in, in Florida. You can go on and on about it. There were several in Utah that did this, and Sheriff uh, Marty Gleave in Utah said, if I have to uh, deputize every single person in my county to defend our land rights here, we will do that. Uh, Sheriff Tony DeMeo, you remember, he spoke at the first... Reach around. What did Johnny Carson do when this happened? Do <laughs> 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 the song dance. And Sheriff Marty, uh, let's see, Marty Cleave, I told him. And there was one other sheriff I wanted to mention. Oh, uh, Sheriff Lamb in Arizona uh, told his Republican governor, and he's a Republican, said, We're not enforcing uh, the uh, mandates, the COVID 19 mandates. We're not enforcing those here. We're, we're going to check on businesses. We'll encourage them to <coughs> socially distance. <laughs> we'll encourage them to wear diapers on their faces, but we're not arresting anybody, and we're not closing businesses down. Yeah. And let's see, I think we have a business owner in here uh, who never closed his business one day, did you? Yeah. Well, God bless you for that. Thank you, Ray. Mike and Sue kept their barbershop open the whole time. Mm -hmm. yeah. the same, the same right. Must be the water in that area. This is the same strip mall right there. And, and I, I, I so admire you for your courage. Thank you for doing that. And, and so many people were, were getting dragged off to jail because they wouldn't, you know. The Sheriff Cronister in Florida, we completely denounced that sheriff, arrested uh, Pastor How Rodney Howard Brown for just having church. Arrested him and, and bragged about it in a, a press conference. How many times do you arrest somebody for two misdemeanors and you call a press conference the next day? Two misdemeanors. He got he bragged about it. You know, so we're not going to get every sheriff. And I don't know if Sheriff Cronister is, is uh, humble enough to listen to this message and humble enough to uh, repent for what he did and apologize. Uh, but he shouldn't have done that. I mean, that was. I mean, how do you arrest somebody and there's not even a statute to enforce? against them you know so uh, we stand against all of that uh, the oath is first 
And the oath puts the Constitution first, and the Constitution puts liberty first. And everyone in law enforcement, from the dog catcher all the way down to the President of the United States. <laughs> and yes, that's the right order. <laughs> everyone must put liberty first. Liberty first. Okay, next one. Oh, play it. You know what you think about <clears throat> when you're lying here. You know you're going to die. And you think, that's all right. You lived a long time. You had a family that loved you. You had a job that you thought made a difference. That you thought was honorable. They don't have to keep their oath. 
No. Well, if you're not keeping it and never having to want to, what are you going to say? I don't know. So that's very few. Very few. Okay? Uh, most of them will just say that, well, I have to enforce the law. And I'll say, you're trying to make an excuse as to why you don't have to enforce the Constitution. I will say, I totally agree with you. You have to enforce the law. The supreme law of the land. If a legislature ever passed a, quote, law that was unjust or unconstitutional, what did the founding fathers call that? What was the term, terminology they used in the Declaration of Independence when they listed the 27 reasons that they fought the Revolutionary War or declared our independence, which meant a declaration of war against Britain? What? No? I almost thought you got it there. It's pretend legislation. And that was one of the 27 reasons why. Because if it was unjust, it was determined to be pretend legislation. You can't call it a law. You don't call it a law. It's not a law. Okay? And especially if it's abusive and corrupt, don't call that a law. It has to be lawful to be called a law. Okay? So... Uh, all of us have to swear that oath. The question is, do we know how to keep it? And all you need is some training. You've got to especially go and understand the Bill of Rights. That's really where uh, it's the supreme law of the land. The Bill of Rights came two years later because they said we need a Declaration of Rights. The, the Declaration of Rights is a list of untouchables that government can never touch or alter. And yes, Mr. Biden, there are absolutes. Look at the Bill of Rights. Those are the absolutes. Those are the ones that government can never touch. After 20,000 gun control laws, you kind of wonder if they get that. But obviously they don't. Okay, next slide. State nullification, is that something that we invented or that we made up? I didn't. I don't think any of you did because I know who did, and that was Jefferson and Madison after John Adams as president um, endorsed and enforced the Alien Sedition Act. Those are two different laws. Uh, sorry. Those are two different pretend legislations. Okay? And John Adams was trying to enforce it because he was tired of the people bad-mouthing him all the time. That's one of the reasons he was only a one-term uh, president. And he, he just didn't have very many people skills. Good man was just didn't like to be. He couldn't he couldn't take the heat of being president, and so he he really wanted people to stop badmouth. He arrested people for badmouthing him. I thought that's what King George III did. Why right. Yeah. So anyway, so Madison and Jefferson came up with the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions where they talked about state nullification, meaning that the states do not have to to oppose what the federal government is doing and to stop them from violating the Constitution, you don't have to create new legislation and you don't have to go to court. Yeah. You just say no. Yeah. What a great idea. Yeah. He, Jefferson, argued that the state should refuse to enforce laws which they deemed unconstitutional. Yeah. Next one. Oh, you have to know this word. See the word in gold? Interpose. The doctrine of interposition. 
this is where this whole thing again stays peaceful and very effective that the good sheriff is like the good shepherd who puts himself in the way and interpose means just that you put yourself in the way you stand in the gap you stand in the way so the IRS agent is here he's trying to steal my home he's trying to steal my bank accounts and let's let's be real here folks the very premise of the existence of the IRS is unconstitutional yes okay? yes Random, baseless audits. Funny how 90% of those produce more money for the IRS every time. Funny, isn't it? They did it to my father. My father was an FBI agent. He had just retired. He was teaching school, uh, criminology at a local college. They audited him. They said he owed $6,000. Folks, in 1978, that's a lot of money. $6,000. They picked on the wrong guy. He investigated them. Nice. And he proved, he proved that they lied and that they owed him $600. <laughs> Did my dad ever see a dime of that? No. No. Took a year and a half out of his life, and he, and he believed in the federal government up until that time. And turns out that they were doing that to thousands and thousands of people across the country. They were fabricating evidence against Americans who they knew financially could not afford to defend themselves. This is your IRS. It is based on one principle of cruelty, bullying. And that's what they make their living on. Now, let's go to this. Why would any sheriff allow that agency to come into his county and do anything? Why? And let's just tell them, let's make it very clear Random audits will not take place by you on anyone in my county. Why? Because random audits are a violation of the Fourth Amendment. That's why. Right. Is that my opinion? No. It's obvious it's a violation. Next slide. This is the, these are the two sheriffs that went to court. We're going to be getting into this trial a little bit more, this Supreme Court decision. Prince from Ravalli County, Montana, Hamilton, and yours truly, Graham County, Arizona, Safford, the county seat, Safford, not Stafford, Safford, Safford, Arizona, where my father served as an FBI agent for about 20 years. Next one. We have held, however, that state legislatures are not subject to federal direction. The, where, the place that Scalia, who wrote this decision, mm -hmm. Justice Scalia wrote this decision, he got this from the New York case of 1992. This is a quote. So this came out, this decision came out when? Tomorrow, June 27, 1997. So we should all have a big celebration tomorrow. Good. Yeah. Of this decision. Okay. Next one. And then this is from Judge John M. Roll at the District Court. Look what he, he surmised. Mac is forced to choose between keeping his oath or obeying, does he say law? No, the act. Subjecting himself to possible sanctions. What were the sanctions? If I failed to comply, I was looking at a year in jail, a $10,000 fine or both. Amazing. And they expected us all to just go along with that. And most did. Next one. Cleo. The only word I really want you to see here is Cleo. Because in the Brady Bill, 
They handed all these, remember those 25 page documents that the BATF handed us? They took those nationwide. Folks, this wasn't just for me. This was all sheriffs in the entire country. It was federal. It was nationwide. And what did they call those of us who received this document? The CLEO. What's that? Chief Law Enforcement Officer. This is the only place you'll ever see it documented that the sheriffs are the CLEOs. A lot of people have asked for that. It's in the Brady Bill and it's in this decision. They handed these documents and the order was given to the CLEOs of America. Who did they decide were the CLEOs? The sheriffs. Don't you love it when the federal government gets up line? <laughs> Even the broken watches. Never, never, never Go, next to that. This is the threat of arrest. People think I'd make this stuff up. So I told you I would show you the evidence under a separate provision of the GCA. What's that? Gun Control Act of 1968. Any person who normally violates the section of the GCA amended by the Brady Act shall be fined under this title, imprisoned for no more than one year, or both. Okay? So that's all there. It's all part of the record. If you want to look up the entire case, I suggest Cornell University. They did the best review of the case. Or you can look at the book that I put together. And here's the two most powerful little pocket booklets you'll ever see in your life. This, to me, I don't really call a book. I call it the Foundational Documents of America. This I put in, and I did. I went days and days putting all the highlights of the case in this little booklet. This is the Supreme Court decision. Supreme Court case for state sovereignty, Mac Prince versus US, okay? Uh, this really scared me. And at one point, my attorney came to me and he said, hey, I know you don't like that threat of arrest thing. I go, yeah, I don't. He goes, do you want to really have some fun with the Clinton administration? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this has been so fun. Um, he said, I'm going to file an injunction that the federal government can't touch you while we're in court. So they can't arrest you for not complying and your wife and kids watch you get hauled off at two o'clock in the morning. I said, well, yeah, do you think we can get that? He said, Judge Roll has sided with us on every pretrial motion and I'm gonna go for this one as well. And so uh, he submitted the injunction. You know what he's submitting? He's literally getting, a, requesting an order of protection for me against the Justice Department and the Clinton administration. So do you guys get what that is? Okay, so I started looking it up. And of all the people who sued Clinton, even way back when he was uh, governor of Arkansas, of all the people that ever sued him, I was the only one to do so on a non-sexual matter. <laughs> and live, yeah. That's uh, true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. True story. So, so, and they're going to threaten to arrest. So Janet Reno responded to our injunction because the other side gets a chance to quash it. We got our injunction. She tried to interpret the law and say it didn't apply to sheriffs. And Judge Roll said, uh, you don't get to change the law by fiat just because you write a memo. Matt gets his injunction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Next one. Uh, then we, uh, that just tells why we did this. And okay, next one. 
Uh, hmm. So I'm not the only one against the IRS, am I? So Ronald Reagan said that our federal tax system, in short, utterly impossible, utterly unjust, completely counterproductive, reeks with injustice, and is fundamentally an American and deserves a rebellion. So why would wow. any sheriff allow this injustice to come into his county and he just sits back and says, well, you better get a good lawyer. Anybody can afford a lawyer to go against the IRS for 10, 15, 20 years? No. And some of you have already tried that. And some of you didn't come out very well. And I know that because the percentage in law of average says that's the way it is in here. Next one. Oh, I love Thomas Paine. Oh, don't you just love Thomas Paine? Oh yes. So here he goes. Britain with an army to enforce her tyranny. Is that what our police force is today? Mm -hmm. They need to understand the difference between tyranny and the Constitution. Has declared that she has not only a right to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. And that, my friends, was the British Declaratory Act. That they can bind us in all cases whatsoever. In other words, they can do this. What Congress believes it can do today. Whatever they want. They can mandate us. They can arrest us. They can shut down churches. They can destroy the Constitution. They can destroy our, our businesses. They can destroy our schools. They can destroy everything about us in our lives and every pursuit of happiness that we've tried to accomplish. They can destroy it all like that with a stroke of a pen. And why? It's always okay if they can do just one thing. Say that they're doing it for our own good. We fought a revolutionary war to stop such. And if being bound in this manner is not slavery, Payne says, then there is no such thing as slavery upon earth. And yet, we still have reporters and experts that tell us that tyranny and corruption <coughs> supersede the principles of liberty that are guaranteed to us in our Constitution. And the Constitution doesn't give us anything, especially the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights are there to protect what we were born with our natural God-given rights. Long was a whistleblower of the IRS. You might know Joe, uh, Joseph Bannister was also another one who blew the whistle. Uh, you might know, uh, was it John Turner? John Turner was another one from the IRS who blew the whistle. And they said, in fact, Joe Bannister wrote a letter. So did Sher oh, Sherry Jackson Lee. Also, I know Jeff, Sherry. Sherry and I talk. We've been on the same radio shows. She went to prison. Joe Bannister was arrested by the IRS, and he beat them uh, in uh, California, Sacramento, I believe. And she came out and said, and she said a lot more than this, but she accused them of committing crimes, and she was about the only one that didn't get fired and didn't get arrested. And she, brave lady. And one other agent testified, only agreed to before Congress if he could be silhouetted and have his identification remain anonymous. This is how afraid he was of his own 
government. And the only other time that happened in history was when somebody that belonged to the Mafia Cosa Nostra, and they, he testified before Congress. Get the connection between the two? Yeah. IRS and Mafia? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Next one. Vatican. Uh, the, astonishing. Folks, do you know what newspaper this is? USA Today, weekend edition. 2015, U.S. drug agents, DEA agents that work for the federal government and receive our tax dollars to have a job are down in Colombia and having sex parties and the cartels provided the prostitutes. They're supposed to be down there stopping the cartels and they're having sex parties with them. And it says this was going on for years. Drug agents posted in Colombia. Let me ask you a question. You don't even need to look this up on your phone. Let me ask you a question. Of the dozens and dozens of agents that did this, and it probably was more, how many of them were, I don't know, reprimanded? Fired? Prosecuted? Arrested? None. There was a real horrible thing that happened as a result of it. The first female director of the DEA resigned over this. So, so you know what happened? They changed the name on the door. That's it. And so I ask again, every sheriff in this country, why do you trust any federal agent to come into your county, IRS, DEA, and you, and you just give them free reign to your county? How could you possibly be doing your job and allow these crooks to come in and do that? I didn't make that up. Maybe Mr. McAdam could offer his expert opinion about how we stop this abuse, okay? Can you tell I'm kind of after him today? <laughs> and this is Thomas Paine again. What signifies it to me, he says, whether he who destroys my property and kills me or threatens to kill me is a king or a common man, my countrymen or not my countrymen, whether it be done by an individual villain or an army of them, if we reason to the root of things, we shall find no difference Neither can any just cause be assigned why we should punish in the one case and pardon in the other. And this is exactly what we saw with the IRS and Ronald Reagan's statement about how crooked they are and the DEA, and this goes on and on. The EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers came in my county when I was sheriff. I was already suing the federal government. They come into my county. And we're, they won't let us fix a bridge. Now, I'm not in charge of fixing bridges. I wasn't involved in it at all until the county board of supervisors voted unanimously, 3-0, to just fix the bridge, the Army Corps of Engineers and EPA notwithstanding, because they had to conduct their environmental impact study about fixing a bridge just the way it was. Not putting a new bridge, just fixing the bridge. Mm -hmm. Would have taken about a, two days. Mm -hmm. okay? They won't let us do it. They think they run everything. So, now I get involved, you know why? They threatened to arrest the Board of Supervisors, the County Commissioners, and arrest the maintenance workers, and charge us $50,000 a day for every day we're in violation. So, I called them in my office for a little powwow. And I said, I don't know if you guys heard, but I'm already suing the Clinton administration on the Brady Bill. Yeah, we know, okay, so, 
you just threatened to arrest the maintenance workers and the board of supervisors and charge us $50,000 a day for every, well, if you'll arrest them the first day, we won't have to pay $50,000 a day for every day we're in violation. But I'm gonna tell you right now, you're not arresting anybody in my county, and if you try, I'm gonna arrest you. Yeah. Woo! Discreet and enumerated. 
Folks, this is like crazy powerful. The implication is that it has to be rendered express by the assertion of the Tenth Amendment. And who, my dear friends, asserts the Tenth Amendment? The federal government? Uh -uh. We people. <laughs> we well, do. I mean, that was a really quick answer. I mean, yeah. No, it's the states. The federal government's not going to enforce the Tenth Amendment. As for your counties, your cities, your sheriffs, and your states to enforce and defend. This is where Madison, who said, we can safely rely on the state's disposition to erect the barriers against the encroachments of the national authority. This is where we erect the barriers, folks. And again, it's nonviolent. Erect the barriers and let the feds know. Use that letter at CSPA.org and get your sheriff to put that notice out to all federal and state bureaucrats. The Bill of Rights will be enforced here. What a, doesn't that sound great? The Bill of Rights will be enforced in these constitutional counties. Now, we all might have to move the Elkhorn now. And then Scalia quotes the Tenth Amendment, and this was a Tenth Amendment decision. We protected the second, and we protected some of the others, and we absolutely reinforced the tenth. Okay, next one. The great innovation of this design was our citizens would have two political capacities, one state and one federal. Get this next line, each protected from incursion by the other. Who's supposed to protect us from federal incursions? Us. The states, we the people, the sheriffs, all of us. It doesn't matter how we work together, but it's our job to protect ourselves from the incursions of the federal government. We're just going to let them go. We're just going to do it. Why would you let them do it? That's what we've done for 70, 50, years, right. 100 years. We've let them get away with it. The federal government is not our boss. That would be impossible. The founding fathers all sitting around, well, how are we going to protect liberty? Let's make a strong federal government. In fact, that almost stopped us doing a federal government in the first place because they were so afraid that it was going to do what it's doing right now. It almost stopped the whole thing. And as a matter of fact, what did Patrick Henry say about it? I smell a rat. This is going to allow a federal government to get too big. He never signed anything. He did not sign the Constitution. The problem is not, I would tell Patrick Henry, one of my favorite founding fathers, it wasn't the Constitution wasn't the problem. We were. We went to sleep after that. We thought our government would protect our rights. Yeah, there's a good one. Go ahead, next one. As Madison expressed it, the local or municipal authorities form distinct and independent portions of the supremacy. We're no more subject to them within our sphere than they are to us within our sphere. But we share the supremacy. The federal government is, oh, the, the supremacy clause. Well, make sure you, if they're going to be supreme, they got to do what? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, you have to lie about it. Next one. Now, Scalia hits it out of the park again. This separation of the two spheres is one of the Constitution's structural protections of liberty. My dear friends, 
When you came to this meeting, were you expecting to see something that was a structural protection of liberty? Of course we wanted to see that. There's the evidence. And this is where Mr. McAdam says, I drink my own Kool-Aid. Because I don't know how to interpret this, my own decision. I don't know how to interpret what it really means that it's a structural protection of liberty. Does that kind of want to call that expert an idiot that he can't read English? You know? Structural protection of liberty. Just as the separation and independence of tyranny and abuse from either front. When you came to this meeting today, did you want to know how to reduce the risk of tyranny and abuse? Yes. You just saw it. And it's the only time in American history when sheriffs sued the federal government. We shouldn't have, but we did. And I still think it was the right thing to do and inspired, but we should have just said no. We should have just nullified it. But I didn't have anybody else with me except my wife. So now you know why when I was going to work that Monday morning and I heard that your sheriff, Sheriff Prince, filed that I almost put my head through the ceiling of the roof of the, roof of the car because I was so thrilled. He didn't even call me. How rude. You know? He just did it. And then I called him as soon as I got to work. I said, oh man, and Jay Prince and I became really good friends after that. He and I were actually on the, anybody remember? You young girls won't remember. The Phil Donahue show? The Phil Donahue show. <laughs> they flew us to New York and we were, yeah, I know, you're old like me. And a, so we, we, we did the Phil Donahue show about this lawsuit. It was really funny. Oh my gosh. But anyway, but Phil Donahue did say one thing that your expert in this newspaper did, gotta go after me. He said, I want to respect your belief in your constitution. He actually said that on the show. That's all I wanted from, from the newspaper reporter. Respect that we're actually trying to do something to protect people's liberty here. We're not hurting anybody. I still want to know how the enforcement, and I asked him this. I said, why are you guys so afraid of the Bill of Rights? Why is it that the enforcement of the Bill of Rights is a fear to you, is a threat to you, is a danger to you or anyone? It protects the liberty of all people, all Americans. There is no exception to that. And I even told him, I would even defend your right if they made a law against freedom of the press. I would protect your right to lie. <laughs> so these two parts that I just put there are in that little white booklet. They're, everything I showed you up here, which one's which, is in that little white booklet. Aren't you glad I spent all that time putting all that together? Yeah, thank you. Folks, Scalia is quoting the Federalist Papers here. The Federalist Papers. Head, this is Federalist 51. It's in the Supreme Court decision. Hence, a double security arises to the rights of the people. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're after? A double security to our rights? The different governments will control each other. This is the second time that Scalia reinforced what is already there, that the states and counties and local officials are part of these different governments that keep other governments in check. The entire Constitution is a system of what? Checks and balances. 
and we let that go, and the federal government does what? Takes over all our land, right. takes over right. all our uh, schools, Food. takes over our health, and soon, coming to tyranny near you, how they're going to make us all take that vaccination. Right. Uh, nope. <laughs> oh my gosh. The different governments will control each other. Should we all memorize that and never forget that? Scalia is not making up anything new. He's not doing new law. He's not doing new jurisprudence. He is reinforcing our history. He's reinforcing our constitution. He's reinforcing the law of the land. That's why this is such an amazing decision, an amazing ruling. Next one. The power to, of the federal government to, would be augmented immeasurably if it were able to impress it to its service and at no cost to itself, the police officers of the 50 states. That's what they were trying to do with the sheriffs. Commandeer, all the sheriffs. This ruling is known as the anti-commandeering uh, decision. I think it goes much further than that, as you can already tell. But they cannot go to the sheriffs who are elected and paid by you and then make them federal agents. Even if they threatened to arrest us like they did. Next one. Next one. The federal government we held may not compel the states to enact or administer a federal regulatory program. Any federal regulatory program. We can tell them what? No, we're not going to. Goodbye. Stay out of my county. Next one. This is my favorite quote from the whole decision. And every one of you, your homework is to memorize this little paragraph. But the Constitution protects us from our own best intentions. It divides power among sovereigns and among branches of government precisely so that we may resist the temptation to concentrate power in one location as an expedient solution to the crisis of they promise you it's for your own good. Okay? Doesn't do it. And then it protects us? Of course it has to protect us from the crisis of the day. Because if it doesn't, what it's, what's going to happen? There's going to be a crisis of the day every day. Until this one's over, there's going to be another one. And how do they keep us under control? Fear. Fear. The leading behavior the leading cause of human behavior. Okay? Next one. We held, now this is the order of the court. And it kind of just gives us a review of what we've been doing. But we can start with, it, it talked about the New York case that I already told you about. Then the, in gold, the federal government may neither issue directives requiring the states to address particular problems, nor command the state's officers, or those of their political subdivisions. So they cannot command any of the state's officers for any reason unless we what? Allow them. Go along. Get those federal grants coming in and I'll do whatever they say. Right. How many how many sheriffs run for office and brag about all the federal grants they've gotten? Hmm. That's the last one to vote for. He doesn't understand anything about the proper mm -hmm. government. Right? Yeah. Uh, this, this actually came from my case at the district court level with Judge John M. Rowe, okay? 
the one that said that I was forced to choose between keeping my oath or obeying the act. He said, I was in his courtroom, and then this is what happened. The attorney for the federal government was cross-examining me. And that's the only place we took the stand. We did not take the stand at the circuit court. We did not take the stand at the U.S. Supreme Court. At the Supreme Court, each side got a half hour to review their case. Each side. And I don't mean 31 minutes. I don't mean 30 minutes and 20 seconds. It was exactly a half an hour to the second. And, oh my gosh, I thought we were getting killed until my attorney got up. Oh. And I said, we're going to win this thing. But regrettably, the five Republicans sided with me and the four Democrats sided with Clinton. It was just politics. No one was upholding defending principles or the Constitution. They were just siding with their parties. That really super uh, disappointed me. And it has a lot since, and it's gotten worse. The attorney started testifying on her own to the judge. I'm on there and she's painted me into a corner and all of a sudden she literally turns from the judge and turn, or for me, testifying, questioning me, and she turns to the judge and she says, well, your honor, in the first four months of the implementation of the Bradyville background checks, we have denied 250,000 felons from getting access to guns in this country. Sheriff, you believe there's 250,000 felons on the street going into gun shops trying to buy guns? <laughs> what a right. joke. And, and so I actually learned where she got some of those stats. It was from people who uh, had driver's license uh, problems and hunting license problems. And there was, some, yeah, those were felons. You know, and there were, first of all, big lie, big deal, you know, they don't care. But I was wondering why my attorney wasn't objecting to her testifying. She can ask me all the questions she wants and try to get me to say that, you know? Do I know about that statistical analysis? My, I'm so glad my attorney didn't object. The judge did it for him. And he pointed his finger at her and he said, Counselor, do not try to pretend in this courtroom that your statistical analysis somehow equates to constitutionality. Mm -hmm. Okay? Go. There's the quote from the judge. Judge John M. Roll interposed for me numerous times during this case, and this was another one. And just so you know, historically, January 8th, 2011, during the assassination attempt on Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, he was the second one killed. And it was one of the saddest days of my life. Next one. It is incumbent on the courts to ensure decisions are made according to the rule of law, not hysteria. One hopes that this great principle, essential to any free society, including ours, will not itself become yet another casualty of COVID. I don't know why I put 10. <laughs> does it make any difference which number it is? Okay. COVID-19 doesn't matter. What happened to number 10, 11, 12, 13? Yeah. But this was the Michigan Supreme Court in a 7-0 uh, uh, unanimous decision on the Carl Menke, the barber, who they tried to shut down, and he refused. And so did, did the governor, Whitmer, did she follow this ruling? Of course not. Why doesn't the press talk about that? She's the one that's lawless, okay? She's the crook. Yeah. I took it to the Supreme Court, and luckily I won, because I wasn't gonna do it either, but anyway, another story. 
All right, folks, please absorb this, play it. said that segregation was okay. That it's okay to separate people. You know what the doctrine they came up with? The Supreme Court? For 55 years we went along with them. Because nobody had the guts to do the right thing locally. Yep. Guess who I told that to yesterday when I was talking to him? Was it yesterday? day before yesterday. Yeah, Thursday. The reporter. I said, we went along with segregation in this country because the Supreme Court endorsed it. Called it separate but equal doctrine. That means all you light darks over here and you dark darks are over here. And it's okay to separate them on buses. And it's okay to separate them in schools. And it's okay to keep them out of restaurants. And it's okay to have water fountains for the light people and not for the dark people. And that kind of insanity is what this idiot... Sorry. This reporter tried to portray to all of you in this ridiculous article that does nothing about liberty, nothing about American ideals, but everything about supporting corrupt government. And we're going to keep getting it until we turn that around. The reporters can do what they want. We the people are the ones that are going to change this. We must make the change. We can turn America around. We formed America. We can turn her around. We have to. We have to do that. I don't think you've ever heard my, me tell this story, have you, Sheriff? About Russell Parks? I don't think you've been there. Have you? I, I, I know you've read my books, but I don't know. Okay, good. Okay, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, he has. My dear friends, 
you, you, this is the twist on Rosa Parks that really should be in our history books. We should have never heard of Rosa Parks. We should have heard of the good constitutional sheriff that took his deputy with him to answer this call himself. This man is gonna change history, he's gonna change our culture. This is Montgomery, Alabama, and he's gonna change it right now. So he says, he tells the dispatch, I will take this call. I know that Deputy Jones is close by, having me be here. They get in the, the sheriff's car, go to the scene where she's still just sitting there. And he walks up to her and he says, ma'am, what seems to be the problem here? And she looks up at him and she takes a kind of a gulp. She does not trust this at all. And she asks, why can't we just be left alone? Randy Weaver asked that question a lot of times. Government won't do that. They won't leave you alone. We have to have somebody erecting the barriers with you to make sure that you're left alone to run your own life. It's called freedom. And so the sheriff said, ma'am, what you did here tonight really took a lot of courage. You've touched my heart. He sits down next to her and shakes her hand. And he says this, it would be an honor for Deputy Jones and me to escort you home safely. Would you please allow us to do that? What did he do with the law? He put it in the trash where it belonged and he stood for liberty. And he stood, what? To protect and serve this good American woman. They escort her home safely. And when they get there, her husband flies out the front door and goes, what's wrong, what's wrong? And the sheriff goes, it's okay, Mr. Park. Rosa refused to give her seat to a white man today. He yells at Rosa, I told you to stop doing that. You wanna get us lynched? And the sheriff again says, it's gonna be all right. Well, let me first ask you, do you have a gun in the home? He says, of course I do. I'm an American citizen, I own a gun. Yeah, amen. amen to that, yes. Yeah. And then the sheriff kind of makes a mistake and asked him if it was loaded. <laughs> and then he rebuked the sheriff. Doesn't do you any good if it's not loaded, sheriff. Right. <laughs> and he says, you got me there, you're right, thank you. He says, but we're gonna give you extra patrol all through the night and through the coming days to make sure no one's messing with you and your home and your family. You never know what could happen, but we can't be here 24 seven. And you keep that gun handy and you let your conscience be your guide as to how you protect your family. But I'm gonna make this very clear to the community that we're not putting up with this sort of thing anymore. And he went around town, the sheriff did the next day and took down the signs on all white water fountains and all white restaurants. And he told people, we're not arresting people for not wearing masks anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we're not arresting people for trespass because you have that sign up anymore. We're not doing that anymore. And do you know what? Rosa Parks was charged with disorderly conduct. Same thing we do today, huh? And that's why I said that thing about the mask. You see, this is our job, to break through cultural norms and political correctness and do the right thing.
that good constitutional sheriff. constitutional sheriff that should have escorted her home that day didn't and she was left on her own and she was booked into the cell fingerprinted photographed booked into jail then later she she bailed out early and she fought this and she had a lot of backup and of course the blacks did a big boycott on the bus and uh, there's a lot of lessons in there for us isn't there we put liberty first. That's it. What an amazing lesson for most of parks. Next one. Badge versus the badge. This was in an article in Range Magazine in 2003. Talking about sheriffs. Next one. Sheriff Derry Amon, O.E. County, Idaho. Made it clear that he didn't want Bureau of Land Management, the, the first BLM, <laughs> in local law enforcement and warned that he expected to be notified of any federal investigation or enforcement action, including impoundment of cattle. This needs to happen. Yes. Be notified. Every sheriff should be notified. You must go through the sheriff. Why? Because they're going to go in there and they're going to abuse people and they're going to steal cattle and they're going to take homes and they're going to take bank accounts and they're going to do random audits. And they're going to do whatever they want unless somebody is doing what? Checking and balancing, checking and balancing, checks and balances. Do not allow them unfettered access to the good, honest people of, this, of your county. Why would you do that? Okay, look at this. Gary Penrod in California. Revoked local law enforcement authority from federal government across all 20,000 square miles of his biggest county in America. And advised them to consult him first before taking any action on private property. Wow. Didn't think that was happening, did you? <laughs> Next one. And Sheriff Jones of Eureka. We now have a great uh, constitutional sheriff there by the name of Jesse Watts. And... He said what really what they want is to extend federal authority over all law enforcement in the United States, whether local people agree with it or not, says Jones. Well, it is not in this county. <laughs> That's what we need to tell them. Yep. As long as I'm sheriff, you know what? You can move here and vote, but you don't even live here. So you can move here and vote and try to get me out of office. But until then, you're going to do what you're told. What? Oh, no. You don't have to do what you're told. You're going to follow and obey the Bill of Rights. Okay, that have to be me. Yeah. Next one. Sheriff standing for freedom. Roll the next day. Roll the next slide. It will roll on its own. So we have about four or five dozen sheriffs listed here. It just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And by the way, 29 out of 29 sheriffs in Utah just wrote a letter to Biden telling him that none of his gun control will ever take place in their state. Yeah. 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 Were these sheriffs wrong? No. According to the newspaper article today, these are a bunch of right-wing radical nut kooks, extremist white supremacists, Oh, and followers of Posse Comitatus. <laughs> Next one. 
Next one. When we have lived under pernicious power long enough, no matter how oppressive, we grow so accustomed to the yoke that its removal seems frightening mm -hmm. or wrong. When the sheriff defended or should have defended Rosa Parks, a lot of people were going to think that was wrong, huh? Is the most correct thing, the most moral thing he could have ever done. We the people should have stood up in righteous indignation and stopped segregation. We don't need the Supreme Court to tell us and then have us go along with it for 55 years. Ridiculous. Okay? Next one. When asked if he considered himself a constitutional sheriff, San Juan County, Utah, Sheriff Rick Eldridge said, I do. I thought every sheriff was supposed to be. That's our job. Yes. Reverend, with your permission, I'd like to make an announcement. Young man, this is a house of God. I understand that, Reverend. I apologize. The South Carolina militia is being called up. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Son, we are here to pray for the souls of those men hanging outside. Yes, pray for them. But honor them by taking up arms with us. And bring more suffering to this town. King George can hang those men, our friends. He can hang any one of us. Dead Scott. Barely a week ago, I heard you talk for two hours about independence. Uh -huh. Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now? When you are needed most, stop at only words. Is that the sort of men you are? <coughs> I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us? I am.
you're all going to have to be involved. Do not think that your share is going to do this on its own. There's no way that's going to be successful. No way. We must do this together. And this isn't because we came to a meeting today. It's what we do after this meeting that will determine the freedom of you and your family in the state of Montana. It's in your hands. It's literally in your hands. We can do this. We must stand against all abuse. We must not comply. And imagine that that sort of civil disobedience that Rosa Parks was doing that day, that your sheriff sitting there with you, that is powerful. You will survive if he's there defending you and your right to peaceably protest and defy tyranny. Jefferson said the defiance of tyranny is obedience to God. I believe Jefferson. I don't believe that reporter. I believe Jefferson. And folks, uh, you saw me get on my phone a while ago. I was actually checking the time. And I saw that I had a text from some people in Coeur d'Alene because we're going to be outside there. We've done most of our rallies outside. And it's 100 degrees there in Coeur d'Alene. And they asked if we could postpone that. I said, I don't think we're, <laughs> we're not going to be able to. Look, we did uh, Utah out in the park, and it was 97. Okay, so hopefully we'll have some shade and tell all your friends in Coeur d'Alene to bring their umbrellas. Uh, and we'll still have a great rally. And whether it's hot or cold, uh, I spoke at a rally like this outdoors at the park right next to the river in Syracuse, New York in February. And I didn't even take a coat. Why would an Arizona take a coat? And I, and, and, I, and I totally was shocked that they were having outdoors. I said, this rally's outdoors? <laughs> Are you kidding? That yeah, was like minus three or something like that. So I don't care. I don't care. I don't care where the rally is. You know what? What did, what did Thomas Paine ask about that? These are times that try men's souls. The summer soldier or sunshine patriot. Are we summer soldiers? Ask me good weather. Then we'll stand. You know, sunshine patriots. Yeah, if it's a good day. Then I'll go and stand. The weather might not always be conducive to this. It might be hard. It might be dangerous. We might get called names. You know. <laughs> and if I could, there's a couple other quotes I want to leave you. I've showed you the evidence. I've showed you that everything that you've been wanting and fighting for and dreaming about is already happening. Two counties now have become constitutional counties. Think we should expand that a little? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Working with your sheriffs and your county commissioners, let's make that happen. You know what those two counties did? We had to make up a real quick county membership because they said, we want to pay for our membership. And they set the price for that new county membership that we now have. It was $2,500. That's a lifetime membership. And they get constant consulting and training with us anytime they want. And we're really grateful for this because we need those financial blessings also. And we're so proud and touched by the
by the generosity of some of these people and some of you since I've been here. We're trying to keep this tour going and we're trying to keep the CSPOA going. And I don't think I've done this, but I'm gonna ask them, I'm not sure the, the answer to the question. Have I ever asked you and, and hounded you to become a member of the CSPOA? Before you were sheriff? Yeah. I, I don't ask sheriff to join CSPOA. He was running for sheriff when we first met. Said he's gonna be a constitutional sheriff. And we've kept in close touch ever since. He's a good man, he has a good wife too. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you what folks, I wouldn't be standing right now here in front of you if it wasn't for my wife. If she told me not to do that Brady Bill lawsuit, you guys would have never known me. She decided, she made the decision. And that can't be underplayed. And now, <laughs> and now uh, we need help financially and we also need your support and your sheriffs are gonna need your support. I wanna get this going to where we're hiring other former sheriffs. I wanna hire four more sheriffs to do this for the next year, what I'm doing. And let's multiply that. Let's quadruple, let's quintuple that. And let's make this bigger, better, and faster right now. I was just going to say that. <laughs> but I do ask everybody else to join CSQA. And that's how we get funded. I'm going to tell you something. Some little lady that was here the other night came again today. And she did the life membership. $5,000. And I'm telling you, it almost brought me to tears because we really need it. What's Liberty Works to you, people? I think maybe she was the one that did it. <laughs> I don't like that tell But let me, let me close with Jefferson and the Founding Fathers, the last line of the Declaration of Independence. And for the support, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Can we do any different today and expect to win? We must do likewise. My dear friends, this amazing evidence that, you've been, that I've been able to share with you, rarely, rarely given any of my opinions. I only remember doing one or two. I've showed you the evidence. I've given you the truth. Now what you do with it is up to you. Let's do this and let's make America free. Join us in this holy cause of liberty and may God bless each one of you as we stand for liberty. Thank you. Guys.
green in about 15 minutes. Mm. Shit, I well, got killed. So that's the people that are expecting me, and thank you. I'll meet you in the world. Tell my brother. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks, Sheriff. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and go to the lunch now. So let's do this orderly, please. We're going to do the first row and the last row. Now, the way the tables are set up, they're buffet. So start on the north end. There's four rows. There's four rows. So please make an orderly line going this way and come right back in the room. And so let's do the front row and the last row, please. And we'll start calling it by rows for lunch. <laughs> 